Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, the Andrew Lawton Show, here on True North on this Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023. Big news day in Canadian politics, although for a talk show, I'm going to just be perfectly candid here and say that if you are expecting me to dunk on Justin Trudeau or his family in any way, you have come to the wrong place. I have, like all of you, seen the news today that Justin Trudeau and his wife, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, have officially announced their separation. They put out joint statements, concurrent statements, on Instagram in which they didn't give too, too much detail, but ultimately said there that uh, Justin and I, or Sophie and I, would like to share the fact that after many meaningful and difficult conversations, we have made the decision to separate. As always, we remain a close family with deep love and respect for each other and for everything we have built and will continue to build. For the well-being of our children, we ask that you respect our and their privacy. Thank you. Now, the Prime Minister's office put out its own statement a little bit later on in which it said that the two of them have reached a legal separation agreement. They're going to be co-parenting. Sophie Gregoire Trudeau is going to move out of Rideau Cottage, and all of them are apparently going to be going on a big family vacation next week, which I, I don't know if it was connected to the separation or predated that and I don't particularly care. And if you look on Twitter, you see both the best and the worst of human instincts there. Many people that are uh, saying what I think most people would say if someone in their life were to come to them with this news, which is, I I'm sorry, and I wish them well, and I know it's going to be difficult for your children. Their three children are 16, 14, and 9, I believe. And, and while I've never been through a divorce myself, and I've not been through having parents divorced, I know many people who have, and I, I know it's difficult for all involved, certainly for the children. And, and you see people that are setting aside their partisanship and saying, you know what, this sucks, I've been there, and I know how bad it is, and I wish everyone well. And on the flip side, you see people who understandably have their own frustration and anger with Justin Trudeau, who seem to delight in the tumult that is his family life. And uh, let me be the first to say, I share many, if not most, of your criticisms of Justin Trudeau, and I, at the same time, do not wish harm on him or anyone in his family. My belief about Justin Trudeau is that the country would be better off without him as prime minister. I would never say nor feel that anyone would be better off without him as a father or husband because that's not my place. And if I'm going to be perfectly frank, it's not your place either. And I don't want to sound preachy or judgmental or pearl-clutchy here, because I understand that in Canada in the last few years, people have felt very personally attacked by Justin Trudeau. When he gets up there and makes the comments he's made about people who believe what they believe, who feel what they feel, and who make whatever medical choices for themselves they do, he has made politics personal. And I understand, on some level, the impulse to be personal in return. But I also understand the importance and value in rising above and never stooping to the level of your opponents. If you feel personally aggrieved, it's probably because you are personally aggrieved and have reason to be by this prime minister. But that doesn't mean that his issue in our lives has anything to do with him being a husband or him being a father. It's the decisions he makes as a political leader. It's the comments he makes in that capacity that are the source of problems. So... 
Well, I can understand, even if people want to just quietly and silently say, well, you know, I don't care. That's fine. But his marriage is not fodder for speculation or discussion beyond simply reporting the news as it's been conveyed today, that he and his wife are separating and they're going to try to do what's in the best interest of their children with whom no one can credibly have any issue, political or otherwise. The one thing I will say about this is that I know for years there's been rampant speculation about the marital status of the Trudeaus. I mean, I think it was uh, probably commonplace online during the 2019 election. People were saying all sorts of things about, oh, so-and-so's moved out and it's a fake marriage and it's a sham marriage. And uh, look, I, I maintain that if Canadians were being deceived in some way, there is a political dimension to this. There's a political angle to it. And absolutely, that's a fair discussion to have. But it also serves no one's interest. It, it serves no one. It doesn't help make the country a better place. And it certainly doesn't elevate the state of political discourse in Canada. And the reason I bring that up is to say that uh, people from the outside looking in can probably draw different conclusions about a family dynamic than whatever the people in that may be drawing themselves. And uh, as, as a Canadian taxpayer, I would look at Justin Trudeau and say that my life is neither improved nor made worse, depending on whether he is married or separated or divorced. It's not at all the case. And I say this not again, because I, I'm trying to chastise any individual people that may just be uh, consumed by their own understandable frustrations and dislike of the man personally. But at the very least, there's a practical aspect of this, which is that you don't make your side look particularly great if you start revel reveling in this or relishing in this. And I think that's probably the most important takeaways. Even if you do hate the guy with every fiber of your being, practically speaking, you're not helping your cause by sharing it the way some people have been online. And uh, interestingly enough, I, I would also point out here that uh, in the case of, of Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, she has not been a, as much a public figure herself in the, the most recent couple of years. And I mean, whether that's because of anything going on on the family side of things, I, I have no idea. Or maybe she just, like Lorene Harper, decided she didn't like being the center of attention and didn't actually like the public aspect of the role as much. Or maybe the novelty wore off as I could understand it doing for many, many uh, people after having to put up with that for a few years. But the one thing I, I would point out here is that uh, there are a lot of people that I, I think feel a level of ownership over public figures' personal lives. And, and this is not just true of politics. This is true of people who are in the limelight in some other ways as well, you know, Hollywood celebrities and, and whatever. And I, I've always had a lot more of a sympathetic spot for some people, and I'm not going to name names because there are many of them, but some people that have decided they don't want to make their personal life at all part of the public discussion and people that have made that decision for themselves. But it's harder to do in politics because in politics, people expect a family unit. And that is something that politicians have an obligation to project. And, and I believe that in the cynicism of politics, it's very easy to understand how someone might try to keep an illusion alive for longer than they should. And that's a general comment, not one that's directed at anyone in particular. The one story I'll tell on this is that a member of parliament that I know, who's no longer a member of parliament, told me when she was first elected 
that uh, all of the rookie MPs were in this room for some orientation of some sort. And one of the uh, longer-serving MPs had told her rather matter-of-factly to look around. And he said, one-third of the spouses you see here will be out of the picture in the next few years. And she thought that was a very odd observation. And then she looked four years later, by the time the next election rolled around, and saw that indeed about one third of those new members of parliaments were divorced or separated. And this was a conservative MP, but the trend is true for liberals and new Democrats as well. And I, I mentioned yesterday when I was talking about Christian Freeland and her flying back and forth from Ottawa to Toronto as often as she does. And I said, absolutely, I am fully on board with calling out the climate hypocrisy of, of someone who says we all need to, you know, fly less and then who just dies to commute daily from Toronto to Ottawa or almost daily. And, and the comment that I made was that I'm not going to begrudge a member of parliament making a decision that lets them spend more time with their family. And this is actually one of those issues where my principled pro-taxpayer stance uh, is at odds with my belief in the institution of family, because technically members of parliament are able to fly their spouses back and forth from Ottawa to their riding. And as a taxpayer, I'd say, well, you know, they make enough money, they should pay for those flights themselves. But I also believe that if that helps keep families together, that might be a useful investment in the long run. And I, I would say to conservatives, as particularly social conservatives, to keep your eye on the prize here. If we believe that the family is the foundational building block of our society, then supporting strong families at an individual level should always be the goal. Above partisanship, above politics, family should be something that we celebrate. And it's very difficult to keep that together for people in this day and age with all of the challenges of the modern world. And politics adds many more of those. So, uh, yes, I did uh, dip my toe into the waters of moralism on today's show, but I also feel it's a, a bit of an important message. And to try to just take that step back and realize that this is not a victory for anyone, nor should the dissolution of a marriage be seen as such, unless we're talking about uh, one of those horrific cases that involves abuse, in which case, yes, you know, someone is better off without them. But that's not at all a comment about this situation. Uh, this is just uh, a point in which we should probably set the politics aside because there are a great many real issues to deal with, ones that continue to be a problem for Canadians, one of which is housing. And I, I must say, this has always been somewhat of an issue on the back burner for people because for the longest time, it seemed to not rise to the level of crisis. But over the last decade, and I think certainly the last few years, we've seen the price of a house get more and more out of reach for people, in which now this headline in McLean seems entirely uncontroversial to point out, the end of home ownership. For generations, middle-class Canadians have been sold on the promise of home ownership. That promise was always flawed. Today, it's simply broken. That was from June. We've seen a litany of news stories from all over the map about how Canadians are unable to afford new houses. This is true of young families, of people that have been born in Canada. And it's true of the hundreds of thousands of people immigrating to Canada who land here and all of a sudden find that they cannot afford to live here. They can't even afford to put a roof over their head, let alone buying any of the other costs. And it's rather interesting that we have Justin Trudeau Trudeau's immigration minister, Sean Fraser, now becoming the housing minister, tasked with solving a problem that some people say immigration has contributed to, uh, maybe not as the primary driver, but certainly as a significant one. 
And then we have Justin Trudeau turning around and deciding to just wash his hands of it and say it's not his problem. Take a look. I'll be blunt as well. Housing isn't a primary federal responsibility. It's uh, not something that we have direct carriage of, but it is something that we can and must help with. That's something we disagreed with our previous conservative colleagues uh, when Stephen Harper's government, uh, with Pierre Polyev being a big part of it, pulled themselves entirely out of the housing business for 10 years. And there's a lot of uh, missed opportunities through that. Now, it was a bit of an interesting one, and possibly the nuance of it escaped you if you were uh, someone with a shorter memory or someone who blissfully doesn't get, uh, doesn't have to as a matter of their job, pay attention to politics every day. Uh, but some dutiful conservative staffer decided to put together a little bit of a montage on how Trudeau himself has evolved on how central housing is to the federal government. Take a look. A Liberal government will prioritize significant new investment in affordable housing. Far too long, a first home has been out of reach for far too many. It's time to change that. I'll be blunt as well. Housing isn't a primary federal responsibility. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Now, I should say, funnily enough, one of the like lessons I think you learn on the first day of political communications is not to amplify your opponent's messaging, but actually Canada's housing minister, Sean Fraser, uh, retweeted that video. He literally shared Pierre Polyev's and the Conservative Party of Canada's video on this and offered his own little chastising of it, calling it out of context. Sean Fraser mentioned here it's an edited and misleading clip coming from a guy who recently held a press conference to call someone's home a shack. Well, yes, it is edited because that's how you put together a clip from 2015 and one of 2021 and one of 2023. Otherwise, it would be a three-year-long video, which even the most patient among us uh, wouldn't exactly be able to handle here. Uh, is housing a federal responsibility? Well, Justin Trudeau seems to think it was up until the point at which it wasn't. Scott Aitchison is the conservative housing critic and a former conservative leadership candidate and is returning to the show. Scott, good to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me here. So let's talk first off about this question of where the about face happened, because I've heard over the years many, many announcements and programs and campaign announcements and platform pieces from the prime minister talking about housing. So to just kind of wash your hands of it and say, oh, it's not really a federal thing anymore is a bit convenient. Well, I, I, no one should be surprised. This is the this is the ultimate photo op and talking points, Prime Minister. Uh, it, it, when it sounded good to talk about housing, he talked about it. But then he just woke up recently and figured out that in fact it's a crisis. You, some of your viewers may recall that I asked the former Minister of Housing uh, many times if he thought that the housing situation in Canada was in fact a crisis, and he couldn't use the word. But now they've caught on. They've realized that it's a mess. They realize that that young people, new Canadians, uh, first-time home buyers, 
uh, people looking for a place to rent to get out of their parents' basement. There's there's nothing. We have a supply crisis in this country. They've just figured it out. Uh, and instead of taking uh, responsibility for their failed programs, keep in mind, in 2017, Justin Trudeau stood in front of the cameras and promised his national housing strategy. He called it life-changing. He called it transformational. Well, here's the transformation, Prime Minister Trudeau. Eight years later, house prices have doubled. Rent has doubled. Mortgages have doubled. Interest rates have skyrocketed. That's your record. That's the transformation. So that's why he's abdicating responsibility now, because he screwed it up so badly. It's a crisis, and it's his making. When do you think he was wrong? Do you think he was wrong when he was saying it was a federal issue? Or do you think he's wrong to say that it's not now? Because there is an argument that it's under the Constitution, not one of these things that is relegated to the federal government. Yeah, listen, he's, he's, he's wrong to say it's not a federal responsibility now. It's everybody's responsibility. Every level of government, we're all in the same business here. We're in the business of helping Canadians. Uh, and this is an area where Canadians need particular, particularly a lot of help. And you've heard Pierre Polyev talk about this issue so passionately, and he's bang on. It's every level of government that's involved, but the, the municipalities are the, are the front lines. They are the front lines. I believe we They're may have lost. Oh, there we go. We got you. We go. Oh, no, we lost Scott. Do we have him back? Yeah, we have him back now. Sorry, you uh, cut out there for a moment. Scott. Please continue. But lo- local politicians and their delay tactics cause, you know, increase the cost of every unit that gets built in this country. And of course, the federal and provincial governments, you know, they're involved in housing as well. The federal government needs to be more active in a leadership role. And Pierre talks about actually leveraging federal dollars, whether it's infrastructure money for water and sewer pipes or infrastructure money for transit, leveraging that money to cities to get results. Dollars for doors. No more pandering. No more patting everybody on the back saying, oh, yes, we're going to work together. Justin Trudeau's promised that for eight years, and he's made it worse and worse and worse. Does that risk, though, centralizing and nationalizing a, a process that should be kept more local? I, I mean, I understand that the the core problem, and I understand when you have a, a population that's growing, whether through immigration or other means, and you have a housing issue that's already reeling itself as being quite of a problem. I, I just don't know if we want the federal government to be a part of that solution, given in general what happens when we try to centralize or, or central plan things. Yeah, no, I'm not suggesting that the federal government take over development approvals process at all. Uh, I have a lot of experience with that as a mayor and as a chair of planning. What I'm saying is that the federal government can hold municipalities feet to the fire. Make decisions. Just make a decision. We've got to, we've got to move forward. We've got to be working together. Uh, and if municipalities aren't interested in playing ball, then the federal government can use its leverage to say, you got to play ball or we're not going to support this infrastructure, that infrastructure. Uh, and, and those municipalities that do get it, that do get the job done, that do meet their targets for housing, Pierre talks about making sure they get a they get an infrastructure bonus. So we'll work with people. That's our goal. Now, now, Justin Trudeau would have you believe that Pierre is angry and nasty and all this kind of stuff. He's, he's providing, he's presenting solutions. Unlike Justin Trudeau, he's, pre- he's presenting solutions. And Canadians are desperate for those. 
John Ibbotson had a piece in the Globe and Mail, I think it was yesterday, in which he wrote that the Liberals must fix the housing crisis before it undermines support for immigration. And the point he's making there is that when we see, you know, a federal government working up to 500,000 immigrants per year, we see housing prices that are already unaffordable, especially in really high immigration cities like Toronto and Vancouver. This is going to cause Canadians to really take out their housing angst on immigration. I was wondering, I mean, first off, do you see immigration as being a contributor to the housing problem? I, I see immigration as a crucially important thing for Canada. We need to keep growing. We need we need more Canadians to help grow our economy and to do the jobs that we need people to do. But this is another symptom of what's wrong with Justin Trudeau and his government. They haven't planned one bit for the increasing numbers of new Canadians. They haven't thought very much about attracting the skills and abilities that we need to help build new homes. They, they haven't, they haven't planned any of this stuff out. They haven't, they haven't worked nearly as well as they should. Oh, we hey. lost uh, Scott again there. Well, there we go. We have him back on. We're, <laughs> we're rebounding here. It's not C11. It's the internet. I promise. Yeah, yeah, uh, so they haven't worked as well as they should though. Well, no, it, it, this is, this is the point that Justin Trudeau has broken our immigration system and he hasn't planned for the increasing numbers of Canadians that, that we need in this country. And so as a result, you see, you know, more and more new Canadians, immigrants coming to this country who can't find a place to live either. But we need to be attracting the skills and abilities to help us build the housing that we need because labor is one of the other crucial elements to building more homes. We need more homes. And we need the skills and, and, and labor to get it done. I know there have been, and it gets outside of the housing file uh, slightly, but there have been a number of uh, discussions and studies and news reports in, in recent months about inflation and about the cost of goods at the grocery stores. And we are seeing in general a cost of living crisis in this country, but but housing is the absolute worst part of that for people. I mean, if you look at the numbers, you said doubling in eight years. Like, no one can say credibly that if they've been working at the same job for eight years, their salary has doubled in that time. No, absolutely not. And, and listen, I, I think there's a lot of Canadians that are that are realizing now that there are consequences to massive deficits and to government borrowing gobs and gobs of money. When when the federal government borrows billions and billions of dollars to give some Canadians five hundred dollars to help with the cost of groceries that now cost thousands more dollars, it's actually making the situation worse. It's not helping. He's just trying to buy people for their he's trying to buy their votes. Uh, with their grandchildren's future. It, it, it's it's a disaster and it's of his making and we need to fix it. We need to clean up the fiscal mess in Ottawa because that is the that is how we're going to get inflation down. It's how we're going to get the economy working properly again. It's how we're going to get more homes built. It's how we're going to make opportunity available again to all Canadians. When you look at the, the trajectory moving forward, I, I mean, my big concern here is that uh, even among existing homeowners who have kind of scraped uh, their pennies together to put a down payment down, they've gotten a mortgage in, we've had interest rates go up. Uh, people are going to have to renew those mortgages at, at some point. And I'm worried there's going to be a, an additional part of this crisis that we haven't seen yet when people can't even afford to keep their homes. Well, this is exactly it. And I can tell you, I have some personal experience with this. I have a variable rate mortgage on my house. A year ago, it was 1.55%. Today, it's 6.8%. My mortgage payments have doubled. A lot of Canadians can't afford an extra $200 a month in extra costs. You know, these are the real life consequences of reckless spending and reckless borrowing. Justin Trudeau and his team have caused this. 
Do you think there is, in general, a NIMBYism problem that is a national one, or or is it really just concentrated in certain parts? And I I guess to put a different spin on that question, are there places in Canada you think are doing this really well right now that are really leaders on where we need to see on the housing file? Well, listen, it's a complex process. All the This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. All right, we've uh, we've lost uh, Scott there for a moment here, uh, so we will have to uh, just wrap things up there. But my thanks again to Scott Hson. Thank you very much, Scott, for uh, coming on. Really good to talk to you, and appreciate your insight on this. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Thanks very much. And apologies to everyone for those technical glitches. I mean, it is convenient. Anytime we get a technical glitch, people always want to blame Justin Trudeau somehow, which again, totally sympathetic with wanting to do, but I'm not sure we can uh, do this on the internet file here. Uh, One thing that I I find is a bit interesting here, and I I wanted to bring up just as a follow-up to what we were talking about yesterday insofar as uh, Christian Freeland and her uh, decision to say, she, oh, I just bike everywhere and ride my bike everywhere. I saw someone on Twitter that was had like a bounty on of like trying to track down a photo of Christopher Freeland on a bicycle because I'm not sure uh, that anyone believes she's just been like riding around the neighborhood in, I think she's in Rosedale or University Rosedale or whatever. And I, I am not at all suggesting anyone do the whole like vigilante paparazzi thing. I'm just saying that most politicians, especially in the US, they love to like do the really contrived bike, biking photo op where, you know, their limo drops them off a, a, like a block away from their photo op and then they pull the bike out of the trunk and they get on this bike they've never been on in their life and just, you know, ride like they do it every day. Uh, Justin Trudeau did that in, I think it was the 2019 election when he like kayaked up to his own press conference. And I'm like, but he, did, he was more convincing than like Pete Buttigieg was uh, a couple of years back on the bicycle. So uh, Justin Trudeau has done like the phony photo op thing uh, better than, than a lot of other people have. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to say just in follow-up to my discussion yesterday with Justin Ling in which we talked about political polarization. I've had a number of emails from that discussion that have been incredibly favorable. And uh, one thing I believe wholeheartedly is that the only way we get over the political polarization problem and the partisanship problem we have in society is by having conversations with people with whom you have disagreements. And what was interesting is that I didn't actually have too, too many disagreements with Justin Ling in that interview. We have a lot on on other stuff, like on the Freedom Convoy and on political themes. And we, we talked about that when I was on his show. But on the idea of people coming together, on the idea of resisting cancel culture, these were actually, and I was quite encouraged by this, fairly universal beliefs. So that report that we were discussing came out this morning and uh, some of you said you know what I don't like Justin Ling I don't want anything to do with him I don't want to listen to the interview that's your prerogative but I would encourage you to actually read the report itself and you'll find it's uh, somewhat of an equal opportunity report and that it takes aim at conservatives and liberals people on the left and the right uh, and how that and those sort of decisions and tribes and the, the tribal configuration has contributed to the inability for people to discuss their differences. So I I would highly recommend you give that a read and give the show a listen. And I I know that we've had some comments on our uh, YouTube and Facebook as we've been going live of people that aren't exactly thrilled with my belief here 
that uh, we should butt out of the familial dynamic of the uh, of the Trudeau family. And I'll reiterate the point that I made at the beginning of the program there, just as we close here, in that uh, there are very, very real political challenges in this country, very real policies this government has unleashed on people that have destroyed our civil liberties, that are making life in Canada unaffordable, that are doing a tremendous deal of damage to the very fabric of society. And Trudeau being separated is not at all one of them. It is not in the top five, the top 10, the top 50, the top 100 problems that I have with the Trudeau government. And if I can humbly uh, direct you in some meaningful place, I would say that is probably the case for you as well, that it it, uh, may be politically convenient to score some points off of him, but I hope we don't actually see partisanship uh, dwindle and decline into that. That does it for me for today. We will be back on Friday with a special edition of The Andrew Lawton Show that I am very much looking forward to and hope you will enjoy. That's coming up in a couple days' time. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.